Hello and welcome to the Light from Night podcast with me, Daniel, and with you, Brother Thomas Therese, comma, OP. <laughs> well, welcome back. I know that last time we said that we would have an episode with Dr. Mary Stella. Dr. Mary Stella, yeah. A friend of yours, Brother Thomas, but unfortunately she's not able to join us for this day of recording. We should be able to record with her for next week i think yeah i hope so so look out for that maristella ramirez gutierrez she's great and uh, just remind our listeners what that's about that's going to be about her vocate well actually at the moment so she's in formation to become what's called a lay dominican so as a dominican you might be a brother like i am or you might be a priest or you might be a religious sister or you might be a nun but you can also be a dominican and not be a sister or a brother or anything like that and that's uh when you live out in the world you know with in an inverted commas a normal job i, I say normal job i mean maristel is a doctor i mean <laughs> how normal is that job but you know people from all different sorts of walks of life you know with families and children and things uh, they live out a dominican vocation but in an ordinary sort of secular life they don't live as part of a community for example as the rest of us do and they'll meet for prayer and they will have talks and things and they live something of the dominican charism out in the world that promises to be a very interesting episode we'll ask her how she came to that decision how she discerned it how she prayed about it and then what the process is like also and you know what are our hopes and aspirations for the future with that yeah i mean it would be quite interesting because she's still in the still in the process. She's still in information, so she'll be able to talk about her discernment and things that have gone through her own mind and what the process is like, you know, from the from the inside, which people uh, might find helpful if uh, any of our listeners in particular are discerning. And also, I'll give our listeners a chance to hear from somebody who has a a relationship with a religious order who is discerning a vocation with a, with the particular religious order, who is going to remain in the world. So not somebody who's going to go and live in a convent or in a priory or anything like that, but somebody who's going to remain in the world, but nevertheless have this connection, this important connection to a particular order, bringing some of that charism of the order out into the world in a unique, in a unique way. So that'll be quite interesting. I think a lot of people you know in the church might know about brothers sisters nuns and all the rest of it but not many people would know about what used to be called the third order or the the sort of the people like uh, maristella who'd be out teaching and sort of in in education who'd be able to get married and have families and things and nevertheless still be able to call themselves a dominican good example of this is somebody called blessed pierre giorgio frasati his dad, I think, was the founder of the La Stampa newspaper, I think. But anyway, he used to serve the poor and everything. He was a, a student and his parents used to give him a hard time because he um, he didn't do as well in his studies as they wanted. When he was beatified, he was called the man of the Beatitudes. And the homeless and the poor and the people who he'd helped with his money through his work living in the world as a lay Dominican lined the, lined the streets and his family had no idea. Uh, by and large, uh, the help that he had given people. And then after he died, all these stories came out about how he'd either sold things or given his money to buy medication, for example, for prostitutes who were sick, for example, or, or single parents who couldn't afford to to find medication for their children and things like that. But he was a lay Dominican, and that's the vocation that Maristella 
will be talking about. And you get lay Franciscans, you get lay Benedictines, all things like that. So she'll be able to explain a little bit more about what that's like from her perspective, what the process is and things, and why she was attracted to it in the first place. And the difference maybe between being a religious, like a, a brother or a sister, and being a secular lay person out in the world who has this sort of closeness and affiliation and all the different things that are involved, like daily prayers, are there vows, for example? I know the answer to those questions, but <laughs> you'll find out next week. Anyway, so what are we doing today, Dan? So this week, we, we thought we'd have an episode on Bible verses, so like our favourite Bible verses or, or biblical themes. We thought this would be an interesting area because, you know, we, we talk about scripture and what inspires us and how it's played an important, important mm. role in our lives, maybe at different points. So kick us off, Brother Thomas. So what is your... What is your favourite passage? Well, I don't have one. Uh, I've got a lot. I knew that would be your answer. I knew, I knew that would be your answer. Okay. It might, it might be best if I take a back seat at first, because when I get, when I get going, you know what I'm like, and the listeners know what I'm like. I don't shut up. Uh, but what about you? Have you got a particular passage uh, that that you particularly like from the Old Testament or the New Testament? So yeah, I haven't actually got a particular favourite passage, a bit like you. I think that there are many interesting um, biblical passages throughout the Bible. But what I thought about was the theme of the heart. I think this comes up again and again and again. And you can go down different routes. So like the theme of the of having a completely integral heart, of having a whole heart towards God, and not having a divided heart. You see that again and again throughout the Old Testament. Uh, God calls us not to have a divided heart. But what I like is particularly this idea coming from David uh, that God looks not to the appearance of things but to the heart of things. And I think this comes up again and again throughout Scripture. And we see it like the epitome of that is found in Jesus in the New Testament when Jesus knows what is in man yeah, he knows what's in their hearts, doesn't he? He knows what's in their hearts, yeah. He knows what is of each individual. Like, he, he knows who they are. And I think yeah, Jesus is fulfilling what is said over and over again in the Old Testament. So, for example, we can start with with David himself. So, you know, the people of the nation of Israel, they look to the other nations and they see that they all have a king. And, the, I mean, the fact is that that God is their king, but they look at these other nations and they think we want a king like all the rest of them. We want to be like all the other nations. We want a ruler who's going to, you know, rule over us. And obviously God warns them that the ruler is going to take lots of things from them, but they still insist on having a, a king like all the other nations. So uh, first of all, they have a king like all the rest. They have Saul who is a terrible king because he doesn't care for the people. He doesn't put them first. He doesn't put God first in his life. He puts himself first, if you like. But anyway, Saul, um, Saul is king for a bit. But then God sends Samuel to go look for another king, and he first of all goes to he goes to this house where there are lots of brothers, and each of the brothers is taken in front of Samuel, and Samuel thinks, oh, maybe this man, because he's powerful in the eyes of men, 
but God says to him, no, not this man, you know, not this man several times. And then uh, lastly, there's one small insignificant man out in the, well, he's a boy, isn't he? He's out in the fields and his name is David and he's brought in and God says to Samuel that this is, this is the man who, who God has chosen. But in, within all of that passage, there's this great phrase that the Lord says to Samuel. He says, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. So he's talking about the first, the first uh, brother who's presented to Samuel. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And obviously later we, we see what God looks for in, in the heart, because David is, is described as being a man after God's own heart. And I think that is is such a wonderful thing. You know, God looks at the heart. At least, you know, we see it again and again. Uh, and you can almost pick out anyone uh, who is worthy of note in salvation history and say, well, God looks at their heart. You know, think of like Hannah. You know, Hannah's not, uh, not too far away from this story. But Hannah goes into the temple she's praying and Eli sees Hannah and looks at the appearance of things and thinks that well Hannah is just drunk but in fact she's actually praying from her heart and God looks looks upon Hannah and hears the heart of her prayer which is obviously it ties in with this theme as well I mean you can, you can go down several different routes as I said with this but I think it's particularly beautiful any thoughts on that Melissa? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that you just reminded me of is uh, the widow's might. I don't know if that's something that that uh, you're thinking of as well. Uh, Jesus sits down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watches the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And there were lots of rich people going past who put in large amounts. Uh, and then you've got a, a widow who comes and puts in two small copper coins worth only a, a small small amount of money. And Jesus calls his disciples to himself and he says, you know, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than any of the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty and she put in everything that she had to live on. So there's a sense then in which Jesus has uh, an extraordinary knowledge of other people and he cares about other people's lives and the, those um, intricate uh, details and he sees what's in her heart and he sees the true value of what it is that the that the widow is offering um, so that's the first thing that I think comes to mind I think that passage I just looked up that passage that you were thinking of uh, and it's uh, in the gospel of John John 2 25 mm -hmm. um, so the wider context is that uh, John 2 23 to 25 so now when he was in Jerusalem Jesus at the Passover feast uh, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in the heart of man. So there is this sense in which Jesus sees what is under the surface. He, he doesn't have this superficial knowledge or this superficial look into people's lives he sees what's really really going on you know and he sees what it is that you 
that you really value, what it is that you really love and the sacrifices you've made. And uh, he's interested in your life. You know, it, it's it often happens, doesn't it? I mean, I know I know <laughs> we both definitely had this when you have somebody sort of who presents God as though they're so far removed from our everyday problems and the things that we like and think in some way that God sort of creates everything but then doesn't have anything to do with his creation too much well actually that's not a Christian idea of God actually because God is intimately interested in the lives of his people he's intimately interested in his creation it's one of the reasons why God becomes man in the person of Jesus it's why he dies for our sins it's why he rises from the dead it's why he goes to heaven to prepare a place for us as he says that's one of my favorite bits of scripture i leave now to go and prepare a place to you and so jesus is leaving it should be a happy moment and he says you know he'll send the holy spirit and all the rest of it and then finally he also says i am with you always even to the end of time so <laughs> i'm going but i'm not going you know you have this intimate relationship between christ and creation between jesus and his people and you find this also in Paul's letters, you know, when in 1 Corinthians, when we're reading about the mystical body of Christ and how, you know, how what we do with our body matters because we're like another Christ. And we also read in St. Paul that you're ambassadors for Christ. So you have this Christ identifies himself with his people in a unique way, in a very intimate way. What is it that Jesus says to Saul who later becomes St. Paul, Saul has just overseen the persecution of Christians and he's on his way to persecute some more Christians. And uh, St. Stephen has been stoned to death, which is like crushing by stoning. On Saul's way to Damascus, Jesus appears to Saul. He sees this blinding light and he falls from his horse. What does he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus, by this stage, has already died and risen from the dead, right? And what does he say? Why are you persecuting me? Saul had stoned Stephen. Saul, Saul didn't, uh, didn't stone Jesus, did he? You know, uh, this is after the ascension, you know, it says that Stephen looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus uh, sitting at, at the Father's right hand. And, you know, why are you persecuting me? That's the sort of relationship that Christ has with his people, with his church. And that's why what we do as Christians matters so much. And it's why we should be held to the highest possible standard in terms of our conduct and our behavior, because it reflects on Christ and his mission, which becomes our mission. So I, I think one of the, what really I well there are a few things actually in what you've said that i find really profound and actually quite moving i think at the forefront for me is that intimate relationship between god and his people he's so intimately related to us that he cares about every aspect of our being and doesn't want us to hold anything back you know he sees the heart of of the human person you know what else it reminds me of the heart of stone is taken and you're given a heart of flesh and i think this is in the old testament you know i will write i i will write a commandment on your heart and i think that this really is what christ is doing he gives you a new law lit, written not on stone but written in your heart there are so many other passages 
in scripture about the heart and replacing a heart of stone for a heart of flesh, which touches on the idea of mercy, doesn't it? You know, one of those other key central themes in scripture, the mercifulness of God, the love of God, the loving kindness of our God, and how he wants us to be merciful as our heavenly father is merciful as christ says you know be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful and this of course being connected to perfection that you know be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect so that mercy that we are to show other people is a participation in the perfection of god and this is about having a heart of flesh not a heart of stone and it's and christ can see what sort of heart we have whether we're tender-hearted, whether we're like the, the widow who, who gives generously, you know, gives everything that we have, or whether we try to hold some things back from the Lord and from our brothers and sisters in need. So, yeah, no, I think that's just beautiful. I think it helps to make sense of some other passages as well. You know, when Jesus tells the Pharisees off to be in, like, whitewashed tombs on the outside, and he's talking about how like they're hypocrites where they cleanse the outside but not the inside absolutely and so obviously the the thing is there that most people can see the outside so they look religious in their practice they look holy in their practice but jesus is the one that's able to see their insides you know and i think uh, sort of extrapolating from this a little bit it, it it should be encouraging for us as well so in our liturgical worship you know it's it's important to have the right words because the words should lead to uh, an interior change of heart and metanoia to the conversion of your heart but the the important thing is that actually your heart is in the right place as well i remember uh, recently with our rcaa preparation so that's for adults um, preparing to become catholics or for a particular sacrament like confirmation but there was this uh, this individual who didn't know the you know, the prayers and responses to the mass and was really worried about it and i i said well you've got to go and reflect on uh, david's passage there the choosing of david the calling of david because what's said there is is so true that god looks to to the heart you know it's not it's not about making sure that every single word is absolutely perfect for the individual and the responses of the mass actually that the heart is in the right disposition and of course the i, I reiterate that that the responses should lead to a change of heart you know praying the our father praying the Hail mary praying the particular responses of the mass praying the rosary these things should lead to a change of heart as well absolutely i mean there was that uh, word that you used just a, a moment ago metanoia uh, the greek word uh, meaning repentance and really, that's what it's about, isn't it? You know, it's it's about turning back towards the Lord. Uh, it's about becoming uh, tender-hearted. And what Jesus says in the in the Beatitudes, which relates again very well to your point, blessed are the pure in heart. You know, there are plenty of spiritual writers who a lot of ink has been spilled on that passage. Blessed are the pure in heart. But one of the things that that spiritual writers will comment on is this single-heartedness for the lord but this is an inclusive single-heartedness which includes love for brothers and sisters one of the quotes that i really like from a jewish philosopher emmanuel levinas i'm paraphrasing now you do not have a relationship with god apart from your relationship with your neighbor 
And this is related to something St. John Chrysostom says, that if you do not see Christ in the homeless poor at the door of your church, then you will not find him in the chalice. This, again, you know, relates to something St. Thomas Aquinas says about how charity is the root of all, of all virtues. If you don't have charity, if you don't have love, that love of God and neighbour, then you don't have any other virtue that follows. All the other virtues depend on charity for their for their life and, and their existence, really. So yeah, that when we say, you know, blessed are the poor in heart, it's about having that single-hearted love for God. And through this love of God, you also have an inexhaustible love for your neighbour, no matter what you endure. A bit like Mother Teresa, you know, who could look at Mother Teresa and say, that her purity of heart, her love for God was exclusive and excluded her neighbour. Absolutely not. It was because she was pure of heart and she loved God with all her heart, all her soul, all her strength, all her might, all her, her mind, with everything that she had. It radiated and drew people to her and she could help so many other people. So that's something that I think is really, really important to remember. So Brother Thomas, are there any points of scripture which are pointing for you take a passage any passage <laughs> uh there are many passages uh one of i think probably my favorite my longest standing favorite has been from the first letter of saint john uh this is, will come as no surprise to you i mean i've gone on about this over and over and over again for years uh one john uh four sixteen. uh god is love and he who lives in love lives in god and God lives in him. Uh, anyone who says that they love God and hates their brother is a liar. It, it's actually really challenging, you know, I'm not saying that I walk around hating everybody all the time. Uh, I, I don't think that, 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 that I do walk around hating people all the time. But I think it is a real challenge to just how extreme our love has to be as Christians. I, I've always found it very encouraging that the beginning of that passage, God is love. And he who lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. So that there's this relationship that we're brought into. In the same letter, it talks about how it's not so much that we loved God. It's that God first loved us and that our love sort of springs from this great love. And this is just one of those passages that I found very freeing, very liberating and really changed my perspective about prayer, changed my perspective about Catholicism. I mean, I always thought that Catholicism was a good thing. I didn't really go through a phase where I thought Catholicism was bad, but it really changed the sorts of things that I thought were important or that I emphasized. It's not just that God has love as like an attribute. He is love and this is why saint thomas aquinas would say that when we say that that god is angry or something it, we mean something completely different he'd say that that's something completely different to what we mean when we say that god is love god is love fundamentally and if we talk about anger in god we're using those terms in a completely different way and why is god love it's because he is this communion of persons this this trinity of this interplay of love between father son and holy spirit which we're caught up and brought up in into he brings us up into his own life which is nothing other than love his itself and when we experience love here on earth true and good love 
uh, when we will the good of the other and other people will our good and all the rest of it, we experience something of that divine life. We, we also consume the God who is love in the Eucharist. This is one of the reasons why Holy Communion is so important. That charity, you become inebriated with charity, the sacrament of charity, as, as St. Thomas Aquinas calls it. So I would say that's probably been probably the most fundamental influential single passage of scripture on my life and on my outlook of the world and of God. Who is God? Well, scripture tells us God is love and he who lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. This also means, by the way, that if we want to know what true love is, we don't look to ourselves. We look to God. There is something external to ourselves that we can look, that we can look to. And then we look to the fullness of revelation that comes in Jesus Christ. We look at how Jesus loved others as he says, you know, love one another as I have loved you. And that means looking at those passages uh, where Jesus says things that we might find actually quite difficult and then trying to understand them because that will help us to love other people in a better way. I, I think that that's really key, you know, the fundamental truth of Christianity, if it could be reduced to one truth, which I don't think it can. I think it's an oversimplification. But if it could be, this would be a really good contender. And it relates to, I think, every other passage in Scripture completely. If we look at another one of my passages that I really love, in the Gospel of Luke, my favourite Gospel, uh, Luke six thirty-two, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, if you have a banquet or anything like that, don't invite those people who can repay you. Invite the people who can't repay you. This is included in that quote from St. Therese of Lisieux that I read out in the last podcast. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Another one in Luke 7, when it's talking about a sinner and it says, her many sins were forgiven her because she loved much. And this is where we get that common saying in Christianity, love covers a multitude of sins. In loving other people, your own sins can be forgiven. And this again relates to those passages about mercy, that he who does not show mercy, no mercy will be shown to him. But if you do show mercy, then mercy will be shown to you. Again, judge not and you shall not be judged. You know, it's that same sort of thing that's going on there. This, of course, connects to John 21 when uh, you have Jesus and Peter talking on the beach. This is another question that was really key in my discernment to become a Dominican. Do you love me? I remember I was in a period where I was sort of thinking, oh, well, you know, I'll go and I'll, I've got to finish my degree first. Then I've got to get a job. Then I, I want to do a master's. Then I want to do all these other things and stuff. And in the end, it just came to me like a bolt out of the blue do you love me are you going to do this or not you know <laughs> do you love me in prayer you know you sort of struggle with these things and you say yes lord you know you you know i love you but you know i just want to do this first <laughs> and um this sort of reply comes back you know feed my lambs and feed my sheep and i remember that next part of the passage somebody else will lead you to a place where you would rather not go and you'll stretch out your hands and somebody else will put a belt around your waist and that, of course, that was to indicate the manner in which Peter was to die when he's crucified like our Lord was. And the first thing that came into my mind at that moment then was how when you become a Dominican, you're clothed in the habit and somebody else puts the tunic over you. Somebody else 
puts the belt around your waist as you've stretched out your arms. So these things you physically do <laughs> when you when you become a Dominican. And so it's almost like the Lord was saying, you know, do you love me? And I was like, yes, you know, I love you. And then the next part of the passage was, well, somebody else will, you know, you'll be led to a place where you'd rather not go and you'll stretch out your hands and somebody else will put a belt around your waist. It was like describing actually what was going to physically actually happen to me later on. So, yeah, that's always sort of stuck with me. And of course, that's connected to those passages. If you love me, keep my commandments and your commandments I've given to you, love one another as I have loved you. So I would say the theme that you picked up on to do with the heart, you know, I don't think it's it's unconnected to the, that, that passage of those passages about love, which really, for me, that that's that's really what it's what it's all about and everything every other part of scripture is a working out of what love's love looks like in in different contexts what it means for god to be love how we are to love each other like when christ becomes human for example why does he say that he's come in in john's gospel he says i've come that you might have life and life in all its fullness and later in john 15 he says i've told you these things that your joy might be complete God wants us to be happy. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to have life in all its fullness. And all of these things are connected to who he is. And who he is, is love. I would say love and Jesus Christ, this is the lens through which scripture is to be understood. And it, everything else is just a sort of an application of, of those things. I'm, I'm painting in broad brush strokes, right? I understand that. But even things, you know, like uh, the calling of Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And Psalm 139, I knit you together in your mother's womb. These, again, expressions of tenderness, expressions of love, God's relationship to us. But it also says something about how we are to love other people. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, this then means that we should treat other people even from the moment of their conception, as though they are fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord who loves them into being, you know, regardless of the circumstances, you know. I've met a, a few people who are worried about what people might think of them, you know, if they've had a, a child out of marriage, even though it's very common, you know, they, they worry about coming and, and asking for the church to baptise their child sometimes. And I always make the point, you know, don't don't worry you're doing the right thing you're doing a, a good thing there you know there are other bits that i i really like that are, are very challenging like you know in job you know who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge you know basically god says to job after job is suffering you don't know what you're talking about and he says you know gird up your loins like a man i'll question you and you will declare to me your answer where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You know, this is a moment where sort of God speaks to Job and he sort of says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you're talking to? You know, I created all that is. And um, there's something about that, I think, that is one of my favorite. Uh, it's just one of my, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Sometimes I have to remind myself of this, you know, if ever I'm upset about something, you know, and, and I turn to God in prayer. Sometimes it's important for me to hear God say, you know, who do you think you are? You know, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You know, trust me, I love you. When I tell you I love you, I mean it. All manner of things shall be well, as Julian of Norwich says. Another one that I love that I often think about when I'm reflecting about my vocation 
is uh, from the Gospel of Luke. And when Jesus quotes Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free. This is something that I think every baptized Christian can say by virtue of their baptism. Other, other things like in John's in, in the crucifixion, woman, behold your son. And he turned to the disciple who he loves and says to him, behold your mother. And from that moment, the beloved disciple made a place for Mary in his home. This, again, you know, the beloved disciple makes a place for Mary in his home. We have a spiritual mother in heaven. You know, also, again, connected to the visitation very much so. Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is the first declaration of Mary as the mother of God. You know, St. Elizabeth says, who am I that the mother of my Lord that means mother of God. <laughs> Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? It's just beautiful, you know, in Paul's letters and things. Um, Ephesians 4, I love. Live a life worthy of your vocation, bearing one another with all forbearance and all charity and patience and meekness. There are, just, there are so many that, that I love. 1 Timothy, uh, the first letter of Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 4. God desires that all souls shall be saved. And what hope does that give us? You know, God desires that all souls should be saved. There's a sort of machine gunning of Bible verses that, that mean a lot to me, but really they are an unfolding of what it means that God is love, I think. And the fullest expression, of course, Jesus Christ. What greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for his friends? Beautiful way to end the episode. So next time, hopefully, Mary Stella will be joining us to talk about her vocation as a lay Dominican. And... Until then, have a good week. Goodbye. God bless.